Yes, God, always holy. Always. All thrones, all dominions, all powers, all positions. It all bows down. Our trials, our struggles, it all bows down to your holiness, to the name of your son, Jesus, the lamb who was slain, to whom we now cry, holy, holy, holy. You are worthy of all our praise, all our adoration, all our worship. Jesus, you stand above it all. Your Father has given you to us. So will he not now graciously give us all things? Jesus, in you we find all that we need. Help us to be satisfied fully, wholly in you, Jesus. Help us to be happy in you, Jesus. In you we find true, lasting, real happiness. Would you now continue your work through the Holy Spirit who dwells within each believer? Fill us, Holy Spirit. As we hear your word, help us to exult over your word, to worship you as it testifies of Jesus. Help Pastor Rick to preach boldly as he ought to and give us ears to hear. Jesus, we thank you that you are holy forever, standing above it all. It's in your powerful name that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Welcome. We are so glad that you joined us on this holiday weekend.
Uh, some of you may be new, and as you walked in, you maybe didn't even notice the communion elements. Uh, we actually are going to partake in communion sometime during the message. And if for some reason you didn't get a cup and a wafer, if you want to somehow uh, go grab that and eventually you'll use it. You know, let me start off just saying this, is that we're in a series, actually nearing the end of a series, called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching this message, this sermon, to a group of people trying to clarify how walking with the king actually changes our world. It changes your life as you submit to him and changes where we live. Last week, we concluded his sermon, at least in the outline, in verse 12. It goes something like this, and you can see it on the screen behind me. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Most of you know it as the golden rule. But this one statement summarizes all the scriptures and continues to spark discussions, especially in our small groups, And I got to believe it changed how you behaved last week. It changed how I behaved. I, I was thinking differently as I addressed my wife or my grandkids or my neighbors. There was just something different. And the Spirit kept prompting me, Rick, treat these folks the way that you would like to be treated. Well, today, Jesus is actually going to continue his message, and he's going to address false leaders and false hope. So before we open up Matthew chapter 7, let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we recognize you are holy. You are amazing. You are God. We are mesmerized with even the idea that you want a relationship with us. We love coming together and praising your name and honoring you. And yet, Lord, I'm sure our praise pales in some ways. We do desire to know you better. We desire to worship you better. We desire to obey you better. But God, there are times in our lives who are blinded. We pray even now, God, you would open our eyes that we would hear your words to us and it would convict us and it would encourage us and it would strengthen us for the journey We pray this time, Father, for other sister churches in our area, churches all over the world, but but in particular, Father, other Converge churches. We pray for Emmanuel and for New Hope and for Northbridge. And even, I'd like to pray, Father, today for Orchard and McHenry. As I see Pastor Scott 
worshiping with us today, grateful again for him and his congregation. We pray, Father, for these flocks, that we would be salt and light, and that we would hear you and respond to you faster and more fully. I pray, Father, for all the ministries that are happening downstairs and all the other ministries that happen throughout the week. We are grateful for those servants who are teaching our children right now, and we ask, God, that our kids would have ears to hear and their lives would be transformed. Father, we are in preparation for our vacation Bible school. And we pray for all the details. And and we pray, Lord, that our staff will be ready come next Monday. But God, more than that, we pray that you would bring kids out to hear good news. That they would be loved. That their lives would change and their families would radically come to faith. We love you, Lord. And as we open up your word today, we ask you to teach us. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn, on, uh, or turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 15. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have one of those. Let me read for you, starting at verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And Jesus continues and says, So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. We should be reminded that in the New Testament, all all throughout the New Testament, the danger of false teachers are presented. We know that because false teachers seem to creep in. They're false because they distort the truth and are following a false leader. Jesus warns us of false teachers, again later on in Matthew chapter 24. Paul will do it in Acts and in Romans and in 2 Corinthians and in 2 Timothy. And it's unique to see in the chapter in Acts chapter 20, he warns the Ephesian elders that these false teachers aren't necessarily even teachers that come from outside into the church but they actually are already in the church. John warns the church about false teachers in 1 John and 2 John. And Jude, Jesus' brother, who wrote the book of Jude, actually dedicates the whole book, all 25 verses, to the subject. 
So we should take Christ's word seriously here because false teachers are deceptive. They literally are vicious wolves who look harmless, harmless, and they are here. False prophets are almost always pleasant and positive. They like to be with Christians. They talk like Christians. They like to be identified as Christians. They even know and use biblical terminology and often appear a little haughty. False prophets talk much about the love of God, but nothing of his holiness. False teachers can't fake fruit, though, because fruit happens when believers are obedient and submissive to the scriptures. A person's basic character, his inner motives, his standards, his loyalties, his attitudes, his ambitions, will eventually show through in what he does and how he acts. Because apart from God, All of our selfishness reigns and emerges. Being self-focused shouts, as does the lack of authority in a false teacher's life. Repentance, humility, and submission to God is basically non-existent. Jesus at this time, at the end of his message here, is speaking specifically to people who are religious. People that the Apostle Paul described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, of folks who hold a form of godliness but deny its power. Fruit happens when God's kids listen to God and do his will. We are all saved through, or saved by faith through grace, but we are identified by works. In the book of James, you'll see over and over the text referring to, well, faith without works is dead because real faith shows and produces works. See, intimacy with God can only happen in a relationship with God, and a relationship with God changes our behavior because we act more and more and more like Jesus. Now, believers do sin, which offends God and hurts others. But the difference is when a son or a daughter of God disobeys, there's conviction and there's repentance. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we wander and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we confess them. And as each one of us walk with God, there is a chipping. There is a redefinition. There is God changing us from the inside out, little bit by little bit, so that we begin to mirror Jesus or become more conformed to his image. The longer you walk with God, the longer you listen to God, the longer you submit to God, 
the more you reflect or the better you reflect his son. Now, non-God followers can do mighty works. That's why Jesus was talking about them. So it's not about the works. There can be results, but this is about fruit. It's about fruit. False teachers will be accountable to God and will be judged. And it seems clear in our text that judgment will come because these trees will be cut down. Now, what's interesting, at the end of this message, Jesus is warning the God followers about false teachers. So what is Jesus saying to his followers? How should they respond to false prophets? Well, actually, there are no instructions from Jesus other than they should discern. You should pay attention. You should understand that they are not following God. It seems like Jesus actually addresses judgment in the following verses. And that's where we're going to go now. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. To be quite honest, these are some of the most terrifying verses in all of the Bible. It should cause each one of us to reflect and evaluate. evaluate. Jesus begins with a surprising and even startling statement. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter the kingdom. You know, to think one could say to Jesus, you are my Lord, and hear him respond, I never knew you, is frightening. To think one could preach and even do miracles in his name and have Jesus say on the day of judgment, depart from me, you lawbreaker, is horrifying. Jesus does not say our profession of him as Lord is unimportant here. Scripture makes it clear that our confession of Jesus as Lord, as master, as king of kings, is important. In Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 9, Paul writes this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. 
He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now we read this and we read some of Jesus' words and, and maybe we're a little bit confused. What, what does this mean? If we just say those words, we should be able to enter the kingdom. It says we'll be saved. The scriptures say that. But it's only by the Spirit's enablement that we can truly and authentically declare Jesus is Lord. And that submitting to his authority and obeying him is evidence of authentic Christianity. But Jesus wants us to understand that there will be some who will say the words and profess Christ as Lord. And for Jesus to deem that profession as false and inauthentic. You see, a transformed and obedient life reveals true faith. And the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who professes Jesus as Lord and does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, that person is a new creation. Not all of you may not, or not all of you may know who D.A. Carson is, but he was a professor of mine when I was going to seminary, and he has long been a spokesman for helping us understand our theology and doctrine. I think D.A. Carson at this moment brings a helpful perspective on all of this when he writes. It is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. Any other view of grace cheapens grace, and it turns it into something unrecognizable. Cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance, church membership without rigorous church discipline, discipleship without obedience, blessing without persecution, joy without righteousness and results in obedience. In the entire history of the church, there are, has there ever been another generation with so many nominal Christians and so few real ones or obedient ones? You see, those who do not follow Jesus are not followers. The person who professes to be a Christian, but who habitually and unrepentantly continues in known sin, does not belong to him. If you turn over to 1 John 
chapter 3. In our recent study of 1 John, we spent a little extra time here. But let me read this to you. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 6. Anyone who continues to live in him or has a relationship with God will not sin. Well, will not continue to habitually sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Again, we're not trying to scare anyone. These are scriptures where people will go around saying, hey, I'm okay with God, expecting to be spending eternity in heaven. Hey, I'm pretty good. And they think that when they die, they're going into the presence of God. You see, people trying to please God through religious activities deceive everyone, including themselves. Because attending church and hearing sermons and singing songs of faith and reading the Bible and going to Bible studies and teaching Sunday school and serving at a food pantry and going on a mission trip and many other perfectly good and helpful activities don't guarantee you spending eternity with God. These activities actually can insulate a person from the very God he or she is supposed to be worshiping or serving. Doing ministry in the name of Jesus and other good things can cause unbelievers to think they are saved when they're really not saved. You see, salvation comes through faith and changes us radically. That's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came to put his arms apart, to be crucified on a cross, to allow his blood to be spilled, to pay our debt for sin and satisfy the wrath of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We all are sinful. We all need to be rescued. And until we come to a place where we recognize that and receive Christ as our Savior and trust his work on the cross, we're going through the motions. Once you put your faith in Christ, you have a relationship with him. If God doesn't have a relationship with you, it's because you've never come to him in faith. People may look good, but without a relationship, they will be separated from God God forever. 
The disobedient are evildoers and will be judged. People who do God's will are followers and part of God's family. Now what Jesus is actually saying is this, I think, is that you will know God's kids because of the supernatural way that they live. You and I, when we walk with God, we behave differently. God is changing us from the inside out. We will be more humble and gentle. We will be patient and make allowances for each other's faults. We will be kind and forgive one another. We will work for peace and unity. And everything we say will be good and helpful and an encouragement. As we walk with God, we will love others like Jesus loved others by giving up our lives for them. You see, all of these actions, in some ways, overwhelm us. But what Jesus is saying is, as you have a relationship with me, I'm going to change you to reflect me better wherever you go. These actions reflect an intimacy with Jesus. And if you'd like, you can study Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5, where Jesus describes what it means to walk with him. He's also saying that if we are not reflecting him, an absence of these activities also makes a statement. Each one of us have an opportunity to experience life, abundant life. And a relationship with Jesus will do just that. But the other is possible. Then instead of experience abundance, we can just exist. Well, these actions, as I said, reflect Jesus. And as we listen to Jesus, we enjoy that life. But at the very end of our text, Jesus talks about judgments. And although that's not something, again, that's fun to talk about, somehow in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wanted to address it. So because he did, we're going to talk about some of the judgments. But I'm just going to focus on two of them. Let's focus on the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat. We learn about the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. This is a judgment that happens at the end of time when all of mankind who does not know Jesus that have chosen to reject God's plan to live life selfishly will appear before God and will be judged. And the scriptures tell us in Revelation chapter 20 that all those not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. 
Oh, my. I, I, really? Um, God says this, I love you. I love the world. I want to provide for them life. They need to respond to me. I will do everything I can to draw them to myself. The other judgment that we look at, and and again, like I said, there's a few in the scriptures, is called the judgment seat. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Where Paul writes this, that we must all appear, all those who are believers, all those who are part of God's family, will appear before Jesus. And they will receive reward based on their obedience and faithfulness. You see, we are saved by faith. But our faithfulness to God, the way that we serve, the way that we invest will be rewarded at this time. Now, ultimately, what I would like to say is this. At each of the judgments, God will ask each person, did you obey me? At the great, great white throne, did you take my son as savior? Did you listen to me? I provided you a way for life. At the judgment seat for those who are part of God's family, I gave you an opportunity, Jesus said, to invest for the next million years. Did you obey me? Did you listen to me. You see, Jesus at the end of this sermon emphasizes the danger of purely nominal discipleship and warns that there will be professed disciples who will be rejected at the end. Now, my question to you is this. Jesus is sending out a warning. He was talking to those folks in Matthew, which we have called the Sermon on the Mount. But a lot of time has passed. We're hearing his words again, and he's warning each one of us to respond. To respond. To those that don't know him, he wants to offer them life. To those who do know him, he wants to remind them to obey and to submit. What a blessing to do life with the king. We can come away and recognize, hey, you know what? Jesus is saying there are going to be people that will try to dissuade you, that will try to deceive you. Be aware of them. Be aware of them. But even more importantly, we know we will all come before our God. And it will be a time of great joy or it'll be a time of great 
sorrow. God wants us to respond and to recognize his hope is that each one of us enjoy abundant life and then eternal life forever. And that is good news. You know, at this time, we're going to participate in communion. And you may even just think we at our church uh, do this once a month. And it can happen many different times. But I think you'll understand why we put it at this moment in our service today.